1: fans. Uh, This is Dave Mailer and I'm doing a guest spot for Mary. I talked to her about doing a couple of guest spots and she said, sure, go for it. Um, What I have in mind is to possibly kind of share some enthusiasms for some poetry that I've been reading and some poets in particular um, and their books and specific poems and I thought I would, you know, just I don't know. You know, I I do listen to podcasts hosted by Ada Lamone and Padre Gotuma. And, you know, oftentimes they will read one poem and introduce a poem with some personal story or something. Um, I think my idea is to in at least with this poet that I'm gonna I'm going to share with you uh, Chris Dombrowski. I'm going to read a series of poems from particularly one book uh, called Ragged Anthem that I think, you know, is really one of his best. And I'm just, I I don't know. It just has bowled me over. And so I wanted to share that with you guys and maybe pass along the enthusiasm. Hopefully. Um, Chris Dombrowski is a poet that lives in Missoula, Montana. He's, is a teacher and a fisherman and a fisherman's guide and has written several books. Uh, he, his first book of poetry was called "By Cold Water." <clears throat> and that came out in uh, let's see 2009. and all three of his poetry books have been published by Wayne State uh, University Press. and his second book was called "Earth Again. And that came out in 2013. And then he came out with a a book of, um, kind of a memoir, uh, which is sort of infamous among fishermen, I believe. Um, It's called Body of Water. And, you know, he as a Northwestern writer, he has a following. And um, this one, oddly enough, takes place in the Caribbean, though. He had an opportunity to go down to the Caribbean. Somebody invited him. And he met somebody there who basically started the the bone fishing guide um, industry, which has become a, a huge industry. Um, and, of course, you know, this was decades ago. And, you know, when he started out, I think, he, you know, he was making very little. But um, anyway, that is a classic. Um, and then Ragged Anthem came out. Um, I think just a few years ago, just a couple, let's see, I guess 2019. And I have to say that, you know, I'm really looking forward to a book that's coming out in October. And that one um, is called The River You Touch, Making a Life on Moving Water. And um, that's another memoir, a nonfiction book. Um, Basically what, from my understanding is it's um, it's a book that um, is about awe, whether experienced through the natural world or parenting, and, and I think you know it has to do with some of his fishing experiences and also just being a father, and which he's really excited about. And you know that comes; those things come through in Ragged Anthem as well. Um, not necessarily the fishing, but definitely fatherhood and family. And so anyway, um, I do want to read a a, a few poems of his from that book and just sort of some of my kind of random favorites. And so what would I want to say about him? He is somebody who uh, is very regional and Northwestern and he has, you know, kind of a, the, the diction and the, um the metaphors and and just uh you know his interest in awe and natural beauty um is one thing and then also he's just uh he's very his syntax and his diction are very seductive and colloquial and grounded in the northwest so it's it's he's um any he, and it's just I don't know there's something magical about it. So um anyway, I you know, I <laughs> I think the best thing to do is to just read some poems and then maybe you can make up your own mind about what he's doing and how he's doing it. I I find myself mystified. I mean, I I think partly it's just sort of genius. You know, it's it's not something that's necessarily um explainable, Um, you you know, someone could certainly do an explication and, you know, look at a poem and kind of dig into what he's doing and how he's doing it. But I, I'm not necessarily going to do that. So the first poem I wanted to read is called uh, Bird in My Boot. I have a bird in my muck boot, a leak that collects water and squeaks with each step. I thought to patch it but prefer the company of an invisible warbler who's quiet until I walk and goes with me until I pause. Perhaps a lark can't tell, its call muffled under footfalls, refugee of the seraphim, to be sure. In a dark time, a poet born near my birthplace wrote, The eye begins to see. He also knew how to spell Titabuwasi and that it flowed via the Saginaw into a desecrated bay, like the shining eyes of a drinker dulling as the bottle drains. I'm not refuting, only saying that the ear begins to hear as well. Mine did. Slight wings, and they're settling. I lived on a bay I wished to enter permanently, despite a beloved's touch, and the pre-dawn whisperings of our children in the room adjacent, and took heart in the poet's wondering if madness wasn't nobility of soul at odds with circumstances, until a young man several states away, a child really, entered a school and shot twenty children. I untacked the quoted syllables from the wall. Madness was madness, that's all. The wind that day blew very hard, and a kestrel hover-hunting coastline snatched a woodcock from the air turning the late migrant into a formless swirl of feathers, then stood in the yard, picking plumage from its prey, upturned breasts. Slick meat hanging from its beak, it stared me down, masked eyes looking past my human to the one that aches to survive. It lit ultimately in a blur of gray orange, leaving its mark to billow as it disappeared into that country owned by the winged. Upon Whose constant intercession I depend. Okay, um, I also should have mentioned that he grew up in Michigan, so that's partly probably why Wayne State is publishing him. I mean, you know, he was friends with Jim Harrison, and and he has a remarkable number of interesting friends. Um, Jim Harrison being one of them that, that he knew a you know personal basis and uh, took him fishing and they were buddies and, you know, Harrison blurbs his books, which probably was quite, you know, quite a, a I don't know, maybe a rarity. I, I don't think Jim Harrison, you know, had blurbed too many people's books. So that's, that's one kind of interesting thing that caught my eye when I, I saw the book on the shelf. Um, so my the next poem I want to read um is like a December apiary the mind tapers which is a you know just that title alone is kind of a you know an example of how strange you know the the use of vocabulary and and the the figurative language is very odd so it it's just it's something that is you know that kind of title is a unique sort of thing. Nobody else is going to write a title like that. No one. So, you know, you see what I'm saying. So anyway, like a December apiary, the mind tapers to the subtlest hum in the year's dying light. Wood smoke leans into the foothills, lingers, that we possess no move, as reconstituting as the jowl-snapping head shake of a dog, is clear. The house lights flickering in the valley buoy me, though they're being there at evening. At a lecture, I learned the mind of winter. The emptied one is privileged and classed. Children bent over schoolwork, some broth, warm kitchens against the dark "'like a mantle full of candles. "'There is another world,' tweeted the visiting poet "'while pointing to her screen, "'but it isn't this one. "'I imagine these kitchens, of course. "'It could be worse, "'but no worse than our collective complicity. "'While sitting by this river one windy afternoon, "'I heard a huge cottonwood bowl start to split. "'Enlightenment,' said a monk, "'is failure after failure.' The blame, when only one is there, falling on oneself. Swirling green cerebrum first, the tree plunged into the water, knocking the wind out of the bottom. I swear the valley held its breath. Then the first bird pipped. But before that, whatever that stillness was, I want, no matter the offense. Tonight a cow crosses, the sound of her hooves on cobbles Muted by current slurring into the distance. A breeze plays the pop bottle of my empty shotgun barrel. Midstream, she swivels, ears keened. Okay, and then um, the next poem is called Cottonwoods. Through the coulee, a river of cottonwoods runs. In winter the river runs dry, all but a trickle, but autumn the water's golden, and its running drowns out even the real river's running. You can breathe inside this water too, and let its conflagration raise the brain's old homestead. It's just yellow leaves, though, their stems ends aphid bulbed, freckled and edged with brown. A long time ago, when God was reading the earth, the angels interrupted, pleading for another galaxy. He made this stand his bookmark. Some frigid nights, you can almost hear the dusty spine unfolding. Okay, so, let's see. Um, so hopefully you're getting the sense that you know um, maybe some of the reasons why I'm enthusiastic about this poet uh, his poems on the page are fairly straightforward you know lines and stanzas there's nothing tricky going on Um, I think the you know the poetry depends on the tone and the kind of the flow of the syntax over the lines and the, the rhetoric. know, there's something rhetorically kind of unpretentious, but also very carefully crafted. And, and it creates a voice that's just, I don't know, I find it seductive myself. Wow. Um, the turns of phrase, you know, it's just, there's something interesting about it that, you know, is hard to do. It's very hard to pull that off. Um, I can I can attest. Um, okay, so the next poem, let's see. Actually, you know what? I wanted to read, uh, the next one I'm going to read is, um, I kind of skipped this, so I'm going to go back to it. The first of Getting Longer Days. The first of the Getting Longer Days. I felt unsettled driving northeast in the dark of what the Salish called the Road to the Buffalo. Long before my tribe struck its camp of cul-de-sacs, though some still speak the road's name and Salish, further evidencing my aforementioned sense of self-importance inherited from forefathers who also wanted more and newer things, such as cars without fender dents that don't burn motor oil at a slow, if determined pace such that checking the level seems necessary every few hundred furlongs. But then again, I own it. Even if the gasket job cost roughly what the car was worth, and even if I'd put repairs on a visa, this line of thought continuing as Dawn stretched her blue shawl over the scapegoat, which is to say I felt the guilt, privilege of Ford's, and justly, since I was driving with my setter to hunt pheasants, chiefly a sporting endeavor so removed from horseback and buffalo jumps. The NPR station fizzled into white noise, and twenty miles from the next gas station I had to relieve myself. What a flock of warblers was doing so close to the mountains on the winter solstice and chattering in the dark as the falling snow melted flake by flake into my forehead not even the most learned ornithologist could have determined but they called assuredly from the sage as though they had been they had always been calling and i finished pissing though perhaps i had always been pissing and men shouldering full quivers rode up the road one of, one of them glancing to regard not traveller but song as the light arrived or kept arriving as it will So that poem just felt like one really long sentence um, as he kind of like goes from one image to another. It, that one actually kind of reminds me of what Larry Levis does, you know, where he'll just conversationally add layer after layer after layer, you know, to a very long sentence. Um, and, you know, of course I could probably could have read that better. Um There's a, by the way, there's a YouTube of him reading that, you know, of Chris Dombrowski reading that poem um, on online, so, you know, you might want to hear him read it himself. I think he, he probably does a better job, I'm pretty sure. Um, let's see, so, I'm trying to kind of give you guys a a bit of a variety, Maybe maybe I'm going too fast, too many poems, but. Um, here's, here's one called Fig. Then right there, smack in the middle of winter, a fig from Marrakesh on the sample tray. February's cold rain shading to sleet ticking against the windows. February having seeped into bloodstreams, silent as a pesticide through fruit skin. But it says Organic. O oh, poet laureate of boot slush, the snow outside is strobing, a density of white the air seems reluctant to receive. Clemency, mere myth, if not stored within the gritty sugars of this fig. Offered now on a palm covered by plastic glove. Biodegradable, of course. A gesture only unabashed pleasure can redeem. February, coy ash spreader leave our foreheads alone we've enough reminders of the dust to which we shall return take and eat swirling outside the window a flurry of cherubs waits to gauge the d- density of your joy reports to the lord ah uh, here's here's a love poem that uh, Is one of my favorites in the book. See how good of a job I can do reading it. Um, It's so hard to dance that way when it's cold and there's no music. So some of his, um, some of his titles are song lyrics or, you know, they're quotes from songs or titles or something, you know, that relate to. So I believe that's one of them. That's actually a song lyric. Um, Which, I don't know what song it comes from, but... Anyway, here we go again. It's so hard to dance that way when it's cold and there's no music. It's a blustery, big moon, kiss-my-ass-if-you-thought-spring-was-coming kind of morning. But she's running in it anyway, with grips called yak tracks. Strapped to her shoes, despite yak being largely herd-walkers, not known for speed. Though I digress while reclining fireside with the pre-dawn malarkey that o- often passes for thought as I scroll through her forgotten iPod, loaded with albums released largely when I was easier to love. With luck, the day will rotate toward one of those hoar afternoons when a southerly sun breaks the inversion and slight winds loose tiny flakes of frozen frost skin from the branches and marble-hard ash berries that the waxwings, long away, arrive to love. Their forms braced by laden branches that settle briefly, if at all, before some unnamed fear stirs the birds and the tree explodes with the shrapnel of the miraculous. But for now, the impossibility, slow snare drum count of her steps. Oh, sorry, I got that. I'd read that badly. The impossibly slow snare drum count of her steps against the ice I didn't salt. Careful steps. And she's back and letting inside a cold that has rendered my cheek somehow kissable. I scent the dark airs bristling as her cheek brushes mine and she strides away humming something. Little exumer that note by spadeful note unearths me. Um, so, you know, again, one of the, you know, he, Chris Dombrowski is a fishing guide um, half the year, or part of the year, probably like spring to summer. And then um, I think he does some teaching. He does, you know, he spends a lot of the year writing, just dedicated to writing, I, I gather. And I think he occasionally does some guest teaching at University of Montana, Missoula. Where you know he's actually held a chair there, the William Kittredge chair. So I, you know, I don't know, I don't know exactly how it works for him, but I know that he's spent some time in department meetings, apparently. So here's a poem called "Department Meeting." Listening to the speaker, disclosure, she said, consequence. He could literally hear his soul withering. Sound of a swallowtail smashed mid-flight, frying on the semi-truck's chrome grill, which was fine because prior to this the soul's existence had seemed disputable. But now, objectives, goal-based outcomes, interdepartmental checks and balances, he was certain he could feel yellow wings adorned with dark whorls folding open, fanning abandoned coals inside his chest. Smouldering away decades of academic bleeding, vague apolitical sterilization. And even if the sensation were mere delusion, heartburn hallucination, brought on by a faux crab dip catered by a food service staff under budgetary restrictions, he vowed to view it as a visitation contact with the actual, scant but inimitable wind that was suddenly the only thing he heard. Okay, um, I think I'm going to do two more, and they're shorter. Um, one of the things I love about him is I get the impression that you know he writes these poems and he does a really good job on them and works hard on them, but he, I don't get the sense that he really cares a whole lot what people think, um, or you know, there's a sense of you know, occasionally he'll talk about being privileged and, you know, and then other times he will just sort of rebelliously say, you know, I'm not going to feel guilty about this. I'm, you know, uh, I'm enjoying nature and I'm not going to sit around fret over global warming. Or, you know, I don't know. It's not like he said that directly, but I get this sense that he's sort of a little bit of, he's he's outside of the conventional he's not an academic. Um, he can be academic. He can, he can operate in that world, but he, but he, and, and then as a poet, you know, writing poems, he's just, there are things in his poetry that are kind of raw and visceral. And they basically, if he was someone really ambitious, trying to make it in the world of poetry, you know, whatever the heck that looks like. Um, he wouldn't be saying the things he says or how he says them. He, I, I just get the sense that he's doing what he thinks is, you know, what whatever whatever is true and authentic and doesn't worry about how it's received. So, um, okay, going on. Um, Midwesterly is the next one here. And I just really like this one. It, this reminds me of me being on the road. Um, I followed a braid of cabbage whites past seas of east-facing, swaying sunflowers, to reach this hardwood stand in Minnesota, just west of the Owl Cafe and Travel Plaza, inside which the Mayo bottles' flatulence rescued me momentarily from my penchant for the pastoral. By any road-shoulder math, it's been a bad week for skunks, the shortcut across the not-so-proverbial asphalt river, fatally short, How about the quickest route to Hibbing? It's a horse apiece, the trucker said, six of one, and cautioned strongly against the pizza burger. Anywhere nearby to take the edge off? I asked the ginger waitress who said the crickets have curfews around here. What brings you through, anyway? She asked. I shook the plastic salt cellar. Said, work. She chuckled, set down the check. As we both know, women are the reason for everything, right? Peppermint on top. And um, finally, larches. We thin out like October larches, born as we were to say goodbye to the strange species of light endemic to our valleys. Hosanna shouts, come cries, froths of rage spit skyward. Our cadmium needles scatter, and the wind has its way with them. By and by, black granite cups the shed. Maybe a halo's worth around the base of each rough trunk. Okay. Uh, cadmium needle. It's It's like an automotive part throwing that in the middle of a poem. I mean, it's just sort of like, how does he come up with these ideas? (laughs) Where does that come from? Anyway, it's been a pleasure. I hope you've enjoyed this little segment. Um, I hope to do more. And uh, we will catch you on the flip-flop.
0: Part of my vision for this podcast was to have it be interactive. I pictured a virtual bonfire poetry reading where friends, family, local poets, and you can come together to warm our hands on some poetry. If there's a poem that has done some action in your everyday life, surprised you, delighted you, or maybe just more quietly worked its way into your bones, you know I would love to hear about it. Email me at takethispoempodcast at gmail.com and let me know your story. Maybe you can join me in sharing it with others as well.